Shalom. This is Gary Duroshinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're on the last of the blessing statements of our Messiah, the last of the Beatitude statements. We mentioned that Yeshua took his disciples, went up on a mountain, and he began to teach them. Of course, the crowds were following him because he was teaching with great authority. He was preaching the good news of the coming kingdom of God. He was healing every one of their diseases and sicknesses, and word of him spreads throughout the land of Israel. And so as he calls his disciples apart, the crowds are thronging him, are following him. They come up on the mountain to listen over his shoulder, as it was, to hear what Messiah has to say to those who are committed to him and will follow him. And he starts out by giving us these ashray. That's the Hebrew word for happy or blessed statements. Mikran is the Greek word, blessed. And the meaning means to be those that are the recipients of God's good favor. That's what this word denotes. It doesn't just mean happiness kind of a thing. Jolliness. It's the idea that the goodness of God, the good favor of God has fallen on those, has been extended to those who are of the following qualities or manifest the following characteristics. In verse 3, he says, those that are the recipients of God's good favor are those who recognize their poverty of spirit. Those that recognize their indebtedness to God. Those that realize that without God's grace, they stand guilty before him and they cannot pay that debt. And we realize that we are in such great need. The good favor of God is upon those who are made aware of their need is what Yeshua is speaking about. Many after hearing me say those things are saying, why are you so negative? Why are you looking so negatively upon the character of humanity. But the reality is that when we come to grips with who we really are in the presence of God, it's because God's good favor has shined upon us. The light has gone on. You know, this passage in, uh, in the Psalms that says that the word is a light unto our path. I remember, I think it was in the Good News translation or the Living Bible, it says that uh, God's word is a flashlight to our feet, you know. And I thought, well, when God shines the light, the flashlight on our hearts, and we get an honest glimpse of who we really are apart from the grace of God, it's because God's grace is enabling us to see our needs so that we would go for help. 
And when we see our need, he says in verse 3, recipients of God's grace are those who, once seeing their need honestly and objectively, are brought to a point of mourning because of it. Recognizing that we are in great need and we're in serious trouble unless God would do something to intervene in our lives. And thus, when we recognize that God must intervene, when we bow before him, when we are in a state of mourning, as it were, we experience a certain level of humility before God. Meekness is another word for that is humility. It's power under control. Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. And when he was accused by Miriam and Aaron with regard to marrying a Cushite woman, he was moved to the point where he did not defend himself. But God came to his aid and stood up to defend him. The point was he was a powerful man, Moses. When God said, speak to the rock, he struck the rock. When God told him to go to Pharaoh, though reluctant at first, went and the plagues were dispersed. When he stretched forth his staff, the waters parted. He was a man of great power and of great strength. For 40 years, he tended sheep in the desert. For 40 years, he grew up in Egypt. And for 40 years, he led a throng of over 2 million people through the wilderness to the borders of the promised land. This was a very strong, powerful individual. But he was the meekest man. He was a humble man before God, knowing that none of this was possible unless God had empowered him. When we realize our debt before God and we are moved to mourn because of it, we stand humbly before God. And what does God do? The fourth beatitude tells us that as we hunger and thirst for God, he provides himself for us. When the scripture speaks of the righteousness, sometimes it has to do with our actions, our morality, you might say, actions that are prompted and energized by the spirit of God. But sometimes this word righteousness speaks of the very character of God himself. So he says, blessed are those who then hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God that can save us. The righteousness of God that can be imparted to us so that we can live like him and manifest his character and his goodness and his kindness. And so once we are ones that are filled with his righteousness, we become transformed. And he speaks about three things. First of all, we become merciful. A merciful person is a person who desires to relieve the misery of another. The word mercy is related to grace, but different than grace. So often Paul will say grace and mercy as he greets the variety of congregations to whom he writes because they're distinct. Grace is unmerited, unearned, uh, unworked for kindness of God, good favor of God. It's something God bestows upon us by his own goodness and prerogative. Nothing we have done to earn it, but God just bestows it upon us. Mercy, on the other hand, is God's work of relieving us from our misery to taking the burden off of our shoulders And enabling us, therefore, to live in a manner that is peaceful and easy. Because he tells us his yoke is easy and his burden is light. 
Not only do we become the recipients of the mercy of God and therefore are called upon and expected and will manifest mercy to others by relieving them of misery. But he tells us we will also be ones who are pure in heart. Our motives will be changed. They will be discovered. They'll be unfolded and we'll get a greater glimpse into who we really are. It's very hard sometimes to figure out why we do the things we do. More often than not, we give ourselves a pass and we consider that what we're doing is out of a good and positive motive. But oftentimes it is not. But what the scripture is telling us when we turn to God, when we are filled with his righteousness, we can have a singular motive and determination, a devotion to follow God. Purity has the idea of being separated, being distinct. It's not only about purity in the sense of living morally upright, although that certainly is a byproduct. The idea is that we are separated from the world and we are called unto God and we are empowered to live like him. But not only do we become ones with singularity of purpose to serve the Lord, he tells us we also become makers of peace. And the word shalom is a big word. It means to be holy, to be healthy, to be well. And it's an active word. It's a word in which it's not merely passive, but it's something we're engaged in. We're making peace. We're enabling peace. And this sense of peace is not a negative word. It's not just about no longer being at odds with God or with ourselves or with one another. But it's a positive word in which we are united to him, reconciled to God, and now we are one with him. And now Messiah concludes by saying, those who are favored of God are those that will be characterized by poverty of spirit, characterized by mourning over it or because of it, characterized by humility before God as a result of seeing these truths, characterized by ones who are filled with the righteousness of God, characterized as being merciful, as being pure in heart, and being makers of peace. And now he concludes with this one. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, Falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I think what Yeshua is telling us is that if we are this kind of people that manifest those qualities we just said, poor in spirit, mourning, humility, if we manifest the qualities of being merciful and peacemaking and pure in heart, we will be persecuted because of our God-like character. Now, I know he doesn't say you will be. And I know that many of us here, taking inventory of our lives, we would say, I've never experienced really persecution for my faith. In fact, it's pretty rare to experience the kind of persecution here in the United States that we oftentimes read about in other foreign countries and in other periods of time. But I still think that what Yeshua is telling us is that this is something we ought to expect if we're individuals that are going to be manifesting God's character and qualities. And if we don't see it in our lives happening, 
Maybe it's an indication that we're really not manifesting these godlike qualities as God would have us manifest it. I'm not saying let's go out and look to be persecuted. But I am saying if we're not being challenged because of our faith, it may be because we're not living our faith enough for others to see and therefore to be concerned about or angry about. Because Yeshua does tell us this. Now, it's not just Yeshua. As I was reading through and studying for this, take a look at some of these passages. Take a look, for example, in Peter's letter in 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, Peter was here on the mountain when he heard Yeshua speak. And listen to what he says in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set aside Messiah as Lord. Later in the same book, in chapter 4, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice, that's what Yeshua says, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Messiah so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. In verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Messiah, you are blessed. That's what Messiah said. Blessed are you if you are persecuted for righteousness and because of me. He says, if you're insulted because of the name of Messiah, because of Messiah, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, I love this line, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a believer, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. But it's not just Peter that writes this, who was present when Yeshua taught these words. But take a look at the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 Paul writes, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Messiah, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Paul later writes to Timothy, doesn't he say, all those who live godly in Messiah Yeshua will suffer persecution. If these passages are true, and if they're to be understood as something to be expected, we have to ask ourselves a hard question. If we've never experienced such persecution, why that is? Is it because we just happen to be in the right place at the right time and we skirt through it? Or is it because so few know what we truly believe, not simply because of what we say, but because of how we live? Something to think about. Now, when Yeshua talks about this blessedness for persecution, I think it's very important for us to realize that he didn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of me. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because of God's righteousness lived out in our lives. Now, I dare say, very often, many of us, perhaps, well, I'll speak for myself, maybe I have experienced the kind of persecution, because, not because they saw the righteousness of God in me, not because of Messiah, but because I, I, they were insulted by me. 
Sort of like when those cultists came to my door and I argued tooth and nail about the truth of Messiah. And they went away saying, he may have had all the right answers, but I'm not going to embrace that one. If that's the way, that's the kind of character, kind of life that is resulted by believing such things. In that case, I may chalk it up to I'm being persecuted because of my beliefs. But the reality is I'm being persecuted because I was insulting the people. Sometimes we think we're being persecuted when it's because we're just being uh, unkind or we're not willing to listen to another point of view. And we're so concerned about getting our own point of view, people are offended because you're not hearing what I'm saying. And then we say, oh, you're persecuting me because of what I believe. No, it's just simply because of what you're like. Obnoxious, (laughs) Obnoxious, right? We may, and that's why I like what Peter says. If you're going to be persecuted, don't be persecuted as a meddler. Getting involved in everybody's lives. And then people aren't happy that you are. And you say, hey, you're just persecuting me, man. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. I'm just trying to tell you what you see. And Peter's saying, listen, if you're being persecuted and rejected because you're meddling in somebody else's business where you don't belong. Peter says, there's nothing to rejoice over. And you deserve it, is what he's saying. Sometimes we're persecuted because of our cause. Now, this may get a little, little dicey, little dicey here. But I'll tell you, I think people that hunt down abortion doctors are not being persecuted because of their belief, but because of their cause. Now, I'm not suggesting we should be supportive of abortion. But that's not what, what Yeshua is talking about. Those that would bomb such clinics and do such people harm, they're being persecuted because of their cause. Some people are persecuted because of their politics. But because they identify their politics so closely with their faith, because their faith sort of results in their political point of view, they think they're being persecuted for Messiah when they're really not. Hey, there's some hard things to think about. I know some are saying, no, you got it wrong on that. Well, you're entitled to your opinion. But I think that when Yeshua tells us when you're persecuted because of me, it has to do with manifesting the qualities and characteristics of Messiah himself that people are offended by. It's really that person. You know, you don't have to go to the stake to be persecuted. You could be working behind a desk for 40 years and because you won't cheat or you won't lie on the phone to a customer, you never get the promotion that you deserve because of your work. That person is as deeply and significantly persecuted as the many who've gone to the stake for their faiths in time past. He's being or she's being persecuted because of Messiah. Persecuted because they won't partake in evil things. The industry here, the entertainment industry, I think is filled with that. I'm just new to this, this kind of world. But those of you who have been in it and know it, you know particularly what I'm talking about. And it's because of Messiah in you. It's because of Messiah's righteousness manifested in you. If we're going to manifest Messiah, we should not think it some strange thing. That people get upset with us. That people might even attempt to harm us. And here's another thing that's interesting. You know, Yeshua says, blessed are you if you are persecuted because of me, because of righteousness. And then he goes on to say, rejoice. (laughs) How do you do that? (laughs) How do you rejoice in this? So let me conclude by giving some thoughts on how you can rejoice 
though attacked, not because of any cause you hold to, not because of any doctrinal point of view you might have, but because of Messiah and because of Messiah's life in you. I think one thing we can say for sure is that, and this is what uh, Messiah says here, is that one of the reasons we can rejoice is because when we are harmed, persecuted, or uh, attacked because of our faith in this way, we need to remember that it's because we are united to Messiah, because we're identified with him. We can rejoice because it is because of Messiah. Remember years and years and years ago when I first was involved in Jewish ministry and we were going out on the streets sharing our faith and I went to one of these um, uh, seminars on how you do this. You know, like, what do you mean, how do you do it? You just hand out stuff and say, you know, Messiah loves you. And, you know, you just hand, no, there's a technique, there's a way to do this. And I was told that when I would hand those things out, now remember, some people are going to be very offended by what you're doing. But remember, they don't know you. They have no idea who Gary Dershinsky is. They don't even know my name. They don't know who I am. So what are they offended by? Well, it can't be me. They don't know me. Of course, if they knew me, they'd have good reason to be. But they don't know me enough to have good reason just yet. So why were they being so upset? And I'll never forget, I was standing on the street corner, and there was about eight of us or something. We had different street corners, you know, in a very, um, on Cedar Lane in Teaneck, New Jersey. Very Jewish area, and a lot of people mulling around in northern New Jersey. And a Jewish guy came up to a, a friend of mine who was on the other street corner. He wasn't even Jewish. His, his last name was De Gregorio. Not Jewish. And a fellow came up to him, and started attacking him because he was sharing about Yeshua. And he was handing out a tract entitled called The Greatest Jew Who Ever Lived. Who do you think you are for handing out this kind of stuff? And he just kept going at him and going at him. And then he started poking him, you know. And finally, uh, Gary, he said, you know, I'm not even Jewish, but he is. That guy is. And he crosses the street and he comes over me and he goes, who do you think you are? And I'm looking down at this. You know, just take your finger off of my chest. I still have a mark there from those days. But as I, what I had to realize was, he doesn't know who I am. He only knows something about what I stand for. And he didn't even know enough of that. He only knew that it was this fellow Yeshua and I don't want anything to do with him. Because I'm a Jew. And so I had to remember I'm identified with him. And what he was really poking was him, not me. And what he was really angry at was not me, it was him. And so one of the things we can take heart in or about is that when we are so attacked or confronted... We need to remember, we're united with Messiah. And this is an evidence of that truth. When I had visited Eastern Europe, and I spent a couple of weeks in Germany with my sailing buddy Brian, and we drove all around Germany and Poland and Czech Republic and Austria, and we were visiting the variety of concentration camps. And one of the things, you know, <clears throat> being an American in Europe... You know, you're sort of conscious that 
non-Americans look at, oh, here are the obnoxious Americans, you know, or maybe not in the case of Brian. He's very low-key. But this one, he's a real obnoxious American, you know. And I was just amazed by all the different things, and I'm, you know, whether it's food or what. And so, you know, they saw me that way. But I'll tell you, when I went through the concentration camps, the thing, among many things, but the thing I just want to make reference to is in every one, there were these plaques to the American company that was here that liberated this camp. You know, every place, the United States Army, Company J, da-da-da-da-da, you know, infantry this, under the command of so-and-so, liberated this camp. I really felt great being an American. I felt great being a Jew in the concentration camp, but I also felt great being American. You know, it was my people that delivered these camps and opened them up and then later helped the Germans and others get on their feet. I don't have anything to be embarrassed about there. I could be as obnoxious as I want. You know, it's because I was identified with those Americans that had come years before. I didn't know who they were, but I was identified with them and I was happy to be identified with them. It's the same thing. We're identified with Messiah. I'm happy to be identified with him. So we can rejoice because such mistreatment is an indication that they see, hopefully that's the reality, they see Messiah in us. And that's why they are so moved to do what they do. But that's why we can rejoice. And remember what Messiah says, for so persecuted the prophets who were before you. We identify with Messiah, that would be enough. But we're identified with all the righteous men and women of God throughout all the ages, the prophets of God. But not only because we are identified with him, but God uses, God uses these times to build in us his character more and more. He uses challenges like that to make us more like his son. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 that everything, everything works to a good purpose. To those who are called of God and called according to his purpose. So as to conform us in the image of his son. So God uses those challenges to make us more like Messiah. After all, Messiah himself went through some incredible challenges, incredible persecution and mistreatment. But the scriptures are clear. And again, I like to look at Peter here because Peter saw all of this. He observed how Messiah was treated. And so in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, beginning at uh, verse, verse 6, in this you talking about the uh, challenges. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Messiah is revealed. God is doing that to refine us like gold and silver. Of course, James or Yaakov in chapter 1, James, t- James tells us, let me, <laughs> let me find it. James tells us in chapter 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers. 
whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So we're to be developing perseverance and all these great qualities. And if we don't understand what's going on in the process, James says, we're to ask of God. And he'll let us in on what's going on. See, I really think the way that we rejoice in suffering is not by the things we feel. It's what we've come to know and embrace by faith. Circumstances may not change given whatever trials you may be facing and whatever conflicts we may go through because of Messiah. But Paul says if we suffer with him, we will reign with him. Now you have to hold on to that truth. The truth of God's word has to take precedent over everything else. And by the way, Paul seems to reveal this. Because we sang a song based on this passage in Corinthians where he says, though we are crushed or though we are struck down, he says, we are not crushed. No, that's not right. Though we are pressed, we are not crushed. Though we are persecuted, we are not abandoned. Though we are perplexed, we're not in despair. And then he has one other one. I can't forget it. We get the point. But the thing that strikes me in that passage, he says, though we are perplexed. See, even Paul, when he went through trials, couldn't figure it out in his mind what's going on. Many times when he went through these trials, he was experiencing a certain element of depression, we might say. A certain element of grief. And consternation. Three times he beseeched the Lord, take away this thorn in the flesh. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. Stop asking because it's not going away. Paul was perplexed. How can this be? And when we are in states of perplexion, I don't even know if that's a word. But when we are in such a state, we have to hold on to what we know is true. And that is the word of God. And so God's word is telling us that the Lord is using this to make you more like him. You may not feel that happening. You may not even see it happening, but you need to trust it is happening. Because his word is always true. So we can rejoice in our sufferings for Messiah because we're identified with him. We can rejoice in our sufferings for Messiah because he's using them to make us more like his son. We can rejoice in our suffering for Messiah because when we suffer, we can radiate the presence of God and not ourselves. You have to ask yourself, what was it about Messiah suffering and dying on the cross? And if you can imagine what that must have looked like. With all of the blood and all of the goriness. And this Roman centurion who's standing alongside of him and sees it all says, Surely this is the Son of God. How did he do that? Why did he do that? Somehow in the midst of Messiah's suffering, he radiated the very presence of God. 
in his suffering, not in his transfiguration, in his suffering. Why was it that the one who was crucified next to him would lean over to him and say, remember me when you come into your kingdom? Because he was radiating the fact that he truly is Messiah. And we can come to him. That's what God wants to do through you and me when we suffer. And particularly when we suffer for Messiah and because of him. He wants to radiate himself with you, through you. We want to avoid the suffering. We want to run from it. We want to do whatever it takes to stop it. And God is saying, but I can make myself known through it in a way you have no idea. If we really believed that, I wouldn't say we would welcome the suffering, but we would certainly appreciate something God is up to despite it. So we rejoice in our sufferings because we know we're now united. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know it's bringing us through to become more like Messiah. We rejoice in our sufferings because it's a mechanism by which he makes himself known in a radical way that he cannot make himself known in any other kind of way. But then Messiah tells us why we should rejoice. He says, for great is your reward which is in heaven. It would have been just fine if he said, you're going to heaven. (laughs) It would have been fine if he just said, you'll be with me. But he says, great, you have no idea, great is your reward that is in heaven. Now, I know some people say, listen, I don't need any rewards, man. I'm just following God. Whether he gives me anything or not, I don't care. I'm following him. But it is interesting. Messiah says, great is your rewards that are in heaven. In the book of Hebrews, you don't have to turn there, but in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that Abraham followed God because he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. He was looking beyond Moriah, beyond Jerusalem, beyond the the extended borders of the land of Israel to a place that God himself dwells in and would build. In fact, Moses, it says, that Moses endured, check it out in Hebrews chapter 11, he endured all the trials with his people, knowing that he was destined for a great reward. You ask, how did Moses do that? Two and a half million people yelling at him all the time, complaining, wanting more, wanting to go back. How did he hang in there? Because he had his eyes and mind on the reward God would give him. That's what Hebrews says. And you know what enabled Messiah to persevere to the cross? The writers of Hebrews tells us. Because of the joy that was set before him. Try to figure that one out. My point is, Messiah says, great is your reward in heaven. So why is it that we rejoice during our times of persecution and suffering, and particularly with regard to Messiah? Because there is an end coming. And when it comes, the reward will be unbelievable. So keep that in mind when going through the trials one goes through. And let me just say one last thing, and that is we can rejoice in our trials because, and I haven't had a lot of deep-seated trials, 
But those who have that swirl around in my life will testify that in the midst of those trials, God has made himself more real than at any other times in their lives. And I can't help but think of that moment in the book of Daniel when Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are thrown into that fiery furnace. And who shows up but Messiah? And when Nebuchadnezzar looks into that furnace, he says, didn't we throw three in there? There's four. You know, where did that one pop up from? Messiah is with you in your suffering like you've never known before. Sometimes we don't see it because we don't want to. Sometimes we don't see it because we're not trusting his word. Sometimes we don't see it because we want to be out of the furnace. And the Lord's saying, just wait a little bit. I want Nebuchadnezzar to look in and see what's happening. And Messiah says, I will be with you forever. So Messiah tells us, we are ones who are the recipients of the grace of God. If we've come to that point of recognizing how indebted we are to God that moves us to mourn because of it, bow before him in need of his grace in humility and receiving his righteousness that enables us to stand before him and to live before him well. And if we are so blessed, we will be merciful ones, relieving the misery of others. We will be peacemakers that seek to bring people into a relationship with God and with one another. We will be single-minded and pure of heart and devoted to serving him and seeing that his name is glorified in whatever we do, say, think, or otherwise. And we will be ones who will be persecuted because of it. But when we are so persecuted, we will rejoice and not mourn. We will rejoice because we will remember it's all because of him with whom we are united. We'll rejoice because we'll remember it's because of him who is using this to make us more like him. It's because of him that we will have a great reward. We will rejoice in it because he will be with us in a very powerful way that we might not otherwise experience. And so this is... The marvelous challenge before us to trust his word about these truths and to watch him do what he promises to do. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this morning of worship, of praise, of adoration, and of the glorifying of your name. We thank you, Father, for the truths of your word. It is never easy to suffer under any circumstances, as you yourself know. But, O Lord, you are always with us. You have given us great blessings, and your word instructs us to keep our minds focused on you and the truths found in your word. And when we do that, we can actually rejoice in times of trial. We can actually rejoice in times of persecution. We can rejoice 
because it's because of you and your righteousness which has been conveyed to us. So help us, Father, manifest you before others that many might come to know you as Savior and Lord. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers. And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.